Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today, we're talking about Pumpkin Jack, developed by Nicolas Massonnier and published by Head Up Games. It was released for PlayStation 4, Switch, Android, Windows, and Xbox One in October of 2020. So we're playing this pretty near to the uh, first anniversary of this game. It's spooky season. And uh, Clint was the one to suggest this game for us. Absolutely. You know me. Once it starts getting fall time, I'm ready to kick on the scary movies and the scary games. So this this fit in just right. Yeah, I wouldn't call this game scary, but it sure as hell got like a spooky campy vibe. And I was totally here for it. I think this came at just the right time of the season for me. I'm getting in the mood. Absolutely. Like there's a difference between like a a scary game and a spooky game. You know, it's much more cartoonish like Pumpkin Jack is. But, you know, it's a... Kind of reminds you of childhood a little bit, like trick-or-treating and all the kind of like fake scary stuff you get from back then. This game did a great job with that aesthetic. Yeah, it's like a combination between Scooby-Doo and the Great Pumpkin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's fun. Well, I'm sorry I found it scary, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, what's actually scary to me is the fact that one guy uh, is pretty much solo responsible for this game being in existence, which if we're thinking about this game, given that it's like a basic 3D platformer, uh, a fairly straightforward one at that. But, you know, one guy basically developing this is still a massive achievement. Yeah, I didn't notice that until the end when the credits roll and it's just him. You're like, oh. There you- Nicholas Massanier, Nicholas Massanier, Nicholas Massanier. I did think it was really cool during the credits scene how we were showing off the old builds of the game so you could see how far it had come. Like, it was one guy, but he did spend several years on making the game. I think it was like five years, but yeah, that, that was probably one of the coolest credit scenes. Of, actually, I normally don't watch the credits, hate to say that, but who's going to read 100 names and think anything of it? But if it's one guy showing off his journey, that was actually pretty neat. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, as with all solo dev projects, quote unquote, nothing is truly solo. Like there was someone that helped him with uh, porting and some menu and UI elements. But by and large, this was like graphically, artistics, mechanics, music, as far as I'm aware, uh, all all him, uh, which is really neat. And all of those things are exemplars, especially when you're considering the size of the team from my perspective absolutely and you know not to take anything away from his accomplishment he worked very hard on this game for four or five years but i also think it goes to show the uh that the state of the art has advanced in terms of game development tools whereas uh you know 25 years ago mario 64 comes out guarantee you it was not one person putting that together but that we've reached a state where even if a guy spends half a decade building a game it can be looking as good as this i think speaks to how far we've come in terms of game development tools well, we have an exact analog to that, right? I mean, Cave Story, basically a one-man project, happened maybe a decade and a half before this, and that was basically an 8-bit game as compared, or 16-bit game maybe, as compared to this game's decidedly 64-bit aesthetic, at uh, least in, in form and function. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think um, there's kind of a almost a retro feeling to it. Like it reminds you of those old 64 and PlayStation platformers. I think the 
term I've heard tossed around before is low poly, as in low polygon. Not going for the best graphics or the highest graphical fidelity, but trying to emulate that era, much like pixel art these days tries to emulate the Nintendo or Super Nintendo eras. Yeah, I like how they do that, but then they also like elevate it with better lighting. Like I've, oh, you guys just played, you guys played Valheim, and mm-hmm. you would all agree that that looks like wow when it first came out. But they added like nice new lighting and a couple other things that really just take that aesthetic and elevate it to the next level. You're you're hitting on something here, Clinton. It's basically like the idea of like um, Minecraft with ray tracing, right? Like you've got this super blocky aesthetic, like it's low poly as Josh was saying, but then you're adding these bells and whistles that are bringing it into modern times and helping sort of bridge the gap between what you perceive as retro and what you can tolerate as a person playing games now. (laughs) It's that hi-fi, lo-fi thing going on. Yeah, I really like that too. And that's a great call out because the lighting and the general vibe in this game is great. But real quick, let's set up Pumpkin Jack and then we can talk a little bit more about its sort of general vibe. Um, So Pumpkin Jack, you are Jack. Uh, He is a uh, soul of a trickster imbued in the head of a, or the head of a jack-o'-lantern or a pumpkin and then put onto a body. And you are cast into a world to earn passage to the afterlife by seeking out a wizard who is looking to put a stop to the curse of the endless night enacted by the devil because peace was too boring. Peace was boring. I mean, this just gets into the kind of like cartoony aesthetic they had. They had these cutscenes at the beginning of the level and they're like, everything was great and boring. So the devil is probably the good guy here. He wanted to spice things up a bit and cast pestilence and plagues and war upon all of humankind. Yay. Hooray. <laughs> so it's that kind of like cute, we're rooting for the evil side here that's kind of like propelled the game forward. Yeah, as, as far as I can tell, there wasn't really a good guy in this game. Like, Jack was an asshole. The devil is the devil. So Also an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, the story really wasn't what I was here for, but the the writing in general was actually pretty fun. Like, um, the dialogue is very tongue-in-cheek. This game sort of acknowledges itself as sort of a trite, contrived game, basically. It breaks the fourth wall several times during the course of it. Um, and yeah, honestly, it was, it was a fun premise for a very lighthearted experience. Um, but it, it basically lives on that aesthetic and the sort of spooky, scary 3D platformer genre, because that's what this is. This, to me, at its heart, is a callback to like a PlayStation 1 or N64 era 3D platformer. Could not agree more. Yeah, absolutely. There's the graphics that we've talked about already, Um, but even kind of the... I, I feel like platformers were much more cartoony back then, and a lot of that was due to the limitations of the hardware. Like, you couldn't get good-looking people on N64 hardware. You could show, look at some screenshots of GoldenEye 64 and be like, ooh, oh, what's, what's going on with that guy's <laughs> face? Um, whereas you, got, you take a look at, like, a Banjo-Kazooie or something like that, and because of the cartooniness, you know, it doesn't uh, kind of trigger that uncanny valley thing. So I think you saw a lot more cartoony platformers back then they also kind of emulated the play style too it's not just so much the aesthetic but how it plays out i I just it just felt like a game from that era too 
you didn't have too many enemies on screen. Probably also what they had to do back then because of hardware. But he just leaned into it. Like he didn't have the same constraints, but he like captured the feeling, which was kind of cool because that's the games we grew up on. So mm-hmm. we don't get to play too many more of those these days. So it was kind of cool to like shift back into that for a minute. I agree. Like even the jump, like in this game, uh, reminded me a lot of like say the Banjo Kazooie jump or Crash Bandicoot's jump. You know. It wasn't a bad jump. It's a bit floaty. It's totally serviceable. Um, but it really reminded me of it because you had your single jump. It was pretty floaty. And then a second jump where you had very generous air control. And the game also sort of added mantling and stuff like that. So I got mantling? You know, if you hit a ledge, you will climb up it or uh, clamber up yeah, it, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's um, very nice, like, traversal mechanic puzzles in this game where you're expected to use the double jump or use timing or speed-based jumps or even like mechanics-based one with switches you know there's all kinds of different jumping puzzles this game throws your way and it's really it's a good platformer in that regard and to be honest none of it was that hard the the platforming was pretty simple and so was the combat really there i I feel like it was i don't want to say it was low effort but it felt Again, it felt very N64 vibes for me. Nothing was ever that hard on, on that platform. It was all more relaxed, and that's what this kind of felt like to me. I would agree there wasn't a great degree of challenge in this game. Um, I guess if I'm thinking about like very challenging platformers, this is much more an analog to like your, your Banjo-Kazooie's or your, your Crashes than it is to any of those. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, honestly, this, this had a lighthearted vibe, and it kept that throughout its mechanics and its writing. I will say that having recently played a good portion of Banjo-Kazooie, um, the platforming in this game was not as difficult. I will say one of the reasons for that was we know what the hell we're doing with cameras these days, and they didn't hmm. back then. Um, but even that wasn't trying to like push the limits of platforming and try to expose you to things you've never seen before. I, th- I feel like it was very much trying to be like the nostalgia. Hey guys, remember the game you use, games you used to play, and give you a heaping helping of that. I think it's worth mentioning the structure of the levels in this game because it wasn't. Like, I keep making the comparison to Banjo-Kazooie, but Banjo-Kazooie is very much like they thrust you into a large open area and ask you to explore it. Whereas this game was not that. This game was pretty linear, right? They are asking you to make your way through a gauntlet. And um, it's just a different approach. And I like them both pretty well. I think I like the exploration one better, to be perfectly honest. But um, it's still this game's approach still allowed you to see a lot of very interesting vistas and, and areas that I appreciated. Yeah, this kind of felt like more of like a spooktober theme park ride. Like you get mm-hmm. on, it's not going to be too difficult. You're going to breeze through it. It's going to get you in the mood for, for Halloween and, and you're out in six hours, basically. That's a good way to put it. Like I, I think of it like I think of um, the Haunted Mansion in uh disney world in florida you know it's it's a mine it's a mine cart ride uh which of course they have in this game um, but <laughs> it's basically a cart that takes you along a pathway you see a lot of interesting and fun spooky things a little bit of gags along the way and then you're done and you disembark well luckily i've grown up a little bit i actually uh i wussed out in the lobby of the haunted mansion ride when i got to go to disney world when i was a kid so when i visited later <laughs> as an adult i made sure that i made it through the lobby and i got through the whole ride i was okay that time 
That was my favorite ride when I was a kid. Like that's one of the first memories I have of being like truly enthralled with a ride is riding through um, Haunted Mansion. Um, Do you remember when the when the waiting room starts shrinking and then yeah. the, the lights go out? <laughs> yeah, I was looking for the exit. I, I couldn't get out of there fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> I, I was just like amazed by that when I was young. Um, and, and this game, like, I don't know if it captures that exactly. I don't think there's anything as visually captivating as that in this game. Um, although there are visually captivating things, just a different style, really. I think this game really does a good job in its level theming and aesthetic by varying the color palette and using lighting and bloom to really, like, set up a vibe. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I know I talk about this a lot there because I have that hue light set up downstairs. Ah. Some games do it meh. This game was beautiful with that because this is all the sweeping colors. All, so it was all, like purples and oranges and bright like it it was it was a beautiful game to play absolutely this game had masterful use of color and palette on on any given level like you could tell immediately what the uh, level's vibe was going to be like and it just rode that to the hilt it was so good the linearness of the levels you guys mentioned before that's not something i'd really considered before but it's definitely there um there's small side paths you can take explore around for collectibles um little crow's heads crow's skulls here and there some record players um but it's definitely kind of a thrill ride like you guys said you are going from point a to point b as opposed to that classic super mario 64 where you are hey here's a mountain play around with it yeah, and I like how with that they were able to lead you through a variety of different challenges. Everything from puzzle sections where you uh, left your body behind as Jack to do a uh, short diversion as like a whack-a-mole or a Simon Says puzzle, uh, all the way up to boss battles where you're using the game's combat mechanics, which we should talk a little bit more about, to defeat like a large sort of epic scale enemy. Yeah, and I think every level kind of followed the same uh, kind of design. Yeah, there was always the, you did the platforming, you did some kind of puzzle, and then you did some kind of on-rails thing, whether that was uh, a mine cart, you ride the horse, like you always did something like that, but it was always different. Same as the puzzles, then you're back for a boss fight, and then you're done. And, and not only that, but they varied each of those things really well within each level, right? Like, it wasn't yeah. always the same puzzle. It wasn't always the same style of minecart challenge, right? The first one was actually just, like you said, Clint, on rails. But then they'd iterate on that by letting you move around in 3D space. And then they'd iterate on that by letting you move around in 3D space with projectiles being fired at you. You could tell it was him learning. This was him progressing as he continued on his level design, I, I'm willing to bet. No, you're, that's a great call-out, because it really does feel like a game that's building on itself as the developer is building on the mechanics that he's built um, to date. And that was a nice progression to see, and it kept things interesting. Uh, it worked really well as sort of an onboarding mechanic for the player, too. It was a game that like didn't overwhelm you, but also didn't... Um, it kept you guessing, I guess. I'm going to disagree that it was the developer gaining experience as he built more levels, because I'm going to guess that that last level especially, which was my favorite, we're going to talk about that, uh, but that was one he had planned for a quite a while. Um, I think he just very well designed the game so that the difficulty curve, the learning curve was very smooth, and 
it felt very natural the way you're like, okay, I'm learning a new thing here and it's getting a little more difficult. Uh, it's a new minecart section. It's a new puzzle here, but it feels very natural the way it ramps up. Not easy to do that. No, absolutely. I think this, this game's sort of um, tutorialization, which basically is non-existent. Uh, it's just all play. It's, it's a very much a show-don't-tell tutorial. Um, and it works great. And I think that also sort of travels on over to how they introduce all of the combat mechanics in this game. Um, as in, they introduce them all up front, and they just vary them throughout the game by giving you basically a new weapon on each level to play with and experiment with. Now, I'm going to say the combat for this game was not particularly intense when you're fighting the normal enemies. There's not a ton of mechanics to learn. You have a dodge. It is very powerful. Um, And you have some simple combos and aerial attacks, but it's not asking you to do a whole lot. Um, But I think what I did like was that these combat mechanics are lightweight, but every level you play, you gain a new weapon that has a new style of attack and everything. And it kept me interested enough that the combat sections didn't feel like they were repetitive. I think the payoff here, too, is while the combat in the level wasn't extremely taxing or necessarily that much of a challenge, the bo- he did a surprisingly good job on the bosses. I found all oh, the yeah. bosses to be decent, decently designed and, and, and fun. And again, it all tied back to that ps1 n64 era you know do whatever three times and you win kind of thing (laughs) there's a level there's got to be a boss for it yep And, and Clint, I think the only thing that I like found myself consistently remarking after a boss is, wow, that was fun. But then also, wow, that was easy. Hmm. <laughs> Even the last boss, I, did, I actually had some trouble with the last boss. Yeah, the last boss I did like try multiple times before actually completing. Um, but all the, all the rest of them, it was either a one or two uh, shotter, except actually the, the tower one on the um, Cursed Swamp, where you were... Um, forced to sort of whittle the tower down before. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that one was actually, I think, the hardest one in the game for me. I don't know why. I think it was just because how long it was, and I, I lost attention after a little bit. Well, sorry, Brian. We don't all play Dark Souls, for God's sake. So I'm sorry the bosses weren't sophisticated enough. It was the I mean, perfect level for me. It was. I usually played each one about twice. First time just to see what, what the deal was and mess around, and the second time to go back and be serious and get it done. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's good. And this game, I think that's honestly like how I would prefer bosses to go. Like, I don't love the the aspect of Dark Souls. And I've said this before, so if I'm repeating myself to the longtime listeners, I apologize. But the thing I like about Dark Souls is not the difficulty. It's you know the 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 world building and the vibe. Um, and this game does a really good job setting up the vibe, right? Like the the difficulty of the boss um, actually did jive with the sort of overall vibe that they were going for, right? This isn't like a dire, difficult experience. This is a fun, and we're going to go back to the old uh, 2019 vocabulary here. It's a fun romp through a <laughs> nice little uh, spooky, spectacular adventure. <laughs> Do you say spooktacular? Yeah, spooktacular adventure. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Now the but, bosses for this game, I think were definitely one of the highlights of it. Uh, but I really did 
like the um, the maneuverability parts, the minecart um, romps, if you will, uh, the minecart rails and all that. that. That was a good part. But the uh, I really like the puzzle bits, too, the little pumpkin things. It was kind of like a change of pace. It lets you know it was a change of pace, and it gave very clear mechanics with very clear indicators of what you're supposed to do in order to solve the puzzle. I thought that was a very good stroke. It was a good way to break up the pacing of the platformer combat, platformer combat. Yeah, agreed. It's surprising to me that they were able to implement so many different like styles of puzzle so quickly. And I mean, by they, I mean basically uh, <laughs> Nicholas. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, they they had the whack a mole thing, the Simon Says puzzle, um, you know, memory puzzle basically, the box pushing puzzle. And all of it worked really well. Like none of this to me, like had a lot of like difficulty or bugs or ambiguity that you might expect from like a solo dev project. It was very polished. One of the things I liked about those puzzle sections is they were so distinct. Um, You came up to a pillar with a pumpkin head on it. You pressed a button and you knew you were getting into a puzzle section. You didn't have to work. Yeah, Yeah. there was a molar shift. It lets you know what's going on. I'm not saying you can't throw puzzles into the middle of the world, but as a, like, um, if you're just a single developer, it's easier to just kind of, like, do that shift and let players know what to expect. Like, I felt he was conveying those expectations very well. Mm-hmm. Now we're in puzzle mode. Ah. Yeah, it didn't feel forced. It just felt, again, I think because of the formula that he adopted, it worked out well. Yeah, uh, formulaic is probably like a really good watchword here. And like, I don't want to use it as a bad thing in any way, because it's formulaic to an end, right? It's setting player expectations really well. Yeah, sometimes we like the formula. And that's, I think, again, we've mentioned it several times, but this was not meant to be a, a challenge that upsets you. This is meant to be a cool ride to hang out on and get you in a certain mood. And I think it, it nails that. It has just enough difficulty to keep it interesting and just enough variance to keep it interesting, but it's also very formulaic and it lets you know what to expect right up front. You guys use use the word formulaic. Um, I feel like that's kind of, I want to emphasize that it's like more this is more throwback than like oh formulaic like oh i've seen this all before it's like mm, yes mm. we've seen this style of game before but also 15 20 years ago which is mm-hmm. making this feel you know more fresh than it would if this came out in 98 or something like that which yeah it's it's an homage almost it, yeah, I, I don't think it's a detractor either it, it's exactly what i was looking for like mm-hmm. it hit a it hit a sweet spot for me it might not do that for kids that are younger than us now that never played those kinds of games but for me it was a nice retro throwback and i I think he meant to do that homage i think is the right word yeah and and what homage to 3d platformers of yesteryear would be complete without collectibles uh, (laughs) which this game had (laughs) and they weren't annoying i i so like i felt like for the most part uh on three of the levels i found every last one without really trying like, not not trying, but I was, like, listening. I don't know if you knew this, but you could hear it, too. Mm-hmm. Oh. I did, so what 
what Clint's talking about is every level has crow skulls that you can collect as sort of your main, I think there's 20 per level. Um, this was most useful for me to figure out how far through a level I was. Like if I was at 10 crow skulls, I knew I was about halfway <laughs> done with the level. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And they, they let you purchase um, cosmetic, uh, you know, basically outfit changes for Jack, which I, I enjoyed to a great deal. Uh, as soon as I unlocked the detective one, I kept with that one because it looked badass. <laughs> All the things that the names were Jacks, like Lumberjack, Samurai Jack. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I like that. I didn't get that Lumberjack connection. Glad you pointed yeah, that out. Yeah, the, they, they were all Jack things. But okay, so that, that's not a cool collectible. There's a collectible on each level. It was a, a what would you call it? A, an old-timey gramophone. gramophone. Yeah, basically you get to go do a, a, a spooky Spooktober dance to whatever funky beat they were dropping. <laughs> that was that was the best part. I mean, I recorded a couple of those. Those were fun. I'm glad you did. You should um, send those my way so I can use some of the audio <laughs> in our podcast recording here. I will. Now, speaking of those dances, this is a very good way to illustrate how I think the game dev tools have advanced since 20 years ago. Um, those dances, I guarantee you, he did not animate himself. Uh, you can go onto like the Unity Asset Store and you can buy these different animations uh, that are kind of rigged to a general human skeleton. Um, and I'm not saying this again to detract from anything he's done, but just to illustrate, hey, he was able to go and add this lighthearted thing. It didn't impact gameplay at all, but it added to the aesthetic. It added to the theme. He was able to add these things in without having to spend six months uh, or more, you know, deciding. Figuring out the rigging. Where yeah. exactly the elbows should be going in this thing. He's able to just <laughs> grab this, add it in. It's fun. Fantastic. Yep. It's really a testament to how far all of the shared intelligence of game development has come to date. And to that end, uh, speaking of shared intelligence, this game's music drew largely from public domain, but was also full of absolute bangers in terms of uh, really fun, spooky songs. Yeah, that theremin <laughs> was coming out strong. Hang on, guys. The first level... I heard in the soundtrack a spooky theremin, a spooky chorus going, ooh, um, a, a spooky xylophone, and the spooky <laughs> yep. string section keening on a, whatever note it was. Like, this was maximal cartoon spookiness in the soundtrack. Very much appreciated. Yeah, super solid. And then even the public domain stuff he used, he, like, spookified it in, in, in some way, so... He didn't just leave I, it. I, like, he made something fun out of all of it. Yeah, I think the absolute triumph of this was, like, spooky Flight of the Valkyries during the <laughs> minecart. <laughs> I yeah. love that shit. Well, they had spooky Flight of the Valkyries, spooky um, uh, William Tell Overture. Like, this mm -hmm. game had a lot of care put into its music, and it really helped deliver that feeling of spookiness. So I wonder about this. Like, obviously, these are not things that were composed necessarily whole cloth by um, Nicholas, but I 
like obviously he he must have done the arranging i suppose for you know changing these classic tunes over to spookified uh theming which i i think was just done extremely well yeah if you didn't know any better you'd think this just came straight out of a tim burton movie basically (laughs) (laughs) no he did a very good job I, i didn't see the credits if it was him who was arranging it or not i'll take your word for it uh but the musical arrangements were very well done taking well-known themes are kind of digging to the classical minds to get some uh themes out of it but did a very good job making it fit with the level fit with the aesthetic fit with the intention of the game yeah even though you use those like common songs we've all heard a million times i think there's only like one or two times where it pulled me out of the experience enough that I noticed what it was. And flight of the Valkyries was one of them just because that's so (laughs) it's it's hard to make that one spooky for one. And and two, it's just, you, yeah, you, I've heard it too many times. It it just popped right out. Yeah. To your point, it's not just public domain stuff too. There's a lot of original tracks in this game, which are spooky and really fun as well. Um, You know, there's composition skills on display here that are, not at all lacking in my opinion i thought this this game had a really fun soundtrack um it's nice when they can pull in those classic tunes to make you like sort of you know immediately recognize something and i think uh, you know we've talked about this in other casts we've done josh but this is something we really enjoy and i like when games can mix and mash like that All right, guys, mm-hmm. I have a controversial statement to make. Are you ready for oh, this? Oh, all right. God. Do it. I think this game was one level too long. <laughs> exactly. Which, okay, one. all right, hold on. T- time out, time out. If you, which if, level? Yeah, which level are you cutting? Because we all, everybody knows that the worst level in a game is, is either the swamp or the sewer. And we had a swamp, so is that the one you'd cut? <laughs> hmm. The water temple. No, the uh, castle Jesus. level. <laughs> I feel like... The boss on that level was great, um, but if, if it went straight from the spooky woods to the cemetery, would we have really missed out there? I mean, yes, the, mm. it, it, I'm not saying like the I level agree. was a total loss. Yeah, it's I, it's I'm, my least I'm, favorite. I'm, I think I'm, I'm I'm in agreement that that is my least favorite level as well. Um, there was a lot of sort of roundabout stuff in that level that didn't quite agree with me. The hunting and pecking for like different pieces of wood to build a tower and the only open world part and that's the part you're upset about (laughs) yeah really i'm going back on my own my own philosophy here but i don't know um for whatever reason i i agree with you that that was my least favorite level maybe it was the aesthetic all the other levels aesthetics were just a bit stronger in my opinion a bit spookier maybe Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah that that might be it it was the least spooky level um the boss as you said was really good door who's like uh gigantic hangman's news right yeah yeah king of the monsters sort of guy yeah all right so favorite level yeah i gotta say my favorite level was probably the cursed swamp mainly because of the payoff with the boss i just gotta say like the whole time you're being chased by these uh witches i guess that you are almost certain are going to use you for some uh dark experiment or something and it turns out they're they're just vegans and they want to eat you I totally agree with you. That that level was really good, and it was right after you just got your cool sword, so you were using probably my favorite weapon in the game, too. Um, and 
yeah, like I said earlier, that boss was also probably the hardest boss in the game for me. I definitely spent the most times on that one. Um, but I love the turn at the end. You're like, <laughs> it's so hard to find vegan food that has souls. <laughs> I was a great Soul line. food, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I'll say my favorite level, despite the spookiness of the game, was the final level when you're going the up north, north to like Christmas Town. And it just like, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas, classic Halloween movie, classic Christmas movie. Watch it twice a year. That's fine. Um, but it kind of like called back to that where Halloween is invading Christmas. And the Tim Burton classic uh, just kind of brought a lot of nostalgia back. I'd also say it was the most unexpected level for me. Yeah, it was. It was very clear that Tim Burton was his, I guess, aesthetic that he was going for. Yeah, his inspiration here. So I'm I'm glad that he was able to do like a throwback and kind of like tip his hat to that. Yeah, weirdly, we all three have different favorite levels because my favorite level was the spooky cemetery where you had to go around and harness the power of the seven deadly sins. Um, I really enjoyed sort of like going to each of those corners and seeing how they would personify each of the sins. And then the boss at the end was just sort of like the cherry on top. Uh, that was a really fun level for me just because of the structure of it. See, I thought um, I was going to fight the other guys. So I thought it was cool that I didn't have to fight him in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I really really yeah. did like with the cemetery level those uh the seven sins part was a great one. Like um I think it was the sin of greed where you have all these fake crow skulls, these collectibles you've been going around the entire time grabbing. Except these ones are traps that hurt you if you grab them. <laughs> so it kind of like it was a nice it, it lasted maybe a minute or two and it was a nice kind of like change of pace, change of expectations. Agreed. Um, I will say, just to call out another favorite like scene of mine, the haunted mine had this excellent scene where the mine was burning down around you as you raced through it on a minecart, and that was just like a really like nice, visually stunning scene right at the start of the game to say like we're here to do some crazy shit. Yeah, and from somebody that's got a lot of PTSD from really shitty minecart levels, looking at you, Donkey Kong, uh, oh. this was actually a really good and fun minecart section that didn't make me want to put a controller to a wall, so I appreciate that. That was actually the first <laughs> note I have on here. <laughs> it's the first minecart section that didn't cause PTSD. Yeah. So with that, uh, let's harness all of our spookiest takes for some three-word reviews. My three-word review is nostalgic pumpkin pie. Something about fall makes me nostalgic, like a good old-fashioned pumpkin pie. There's a lot to like in Pumpkin Jack. If you're into pumpkin, this is a pretty straightforward no frills 3d platformer for me it's a genre that hasn't had a ton of entries in recent times but a surprisingly diverse set of mechanics from minecarts to boss fights etc really makes it interesting to me and yet it's very retro in its simplicity it leans on that retro nostalgia to keep the player going and it does feel a bit like an uprezzed ps1 game but the fact that a one-man dev team can now ship a game that's basically a ps1 game shows how far the medium has come 
overall, this was the perfect autumnal tone piece for me, and it has a fantastic campy and spooky vibe throughout. Recommended from my perspective. Alright, my three-word review for this game is Crisp Fall Breeze. Pumpkin Jack is a great example of knowing your limits and sticking to them. It's a light and breezy throwback platformer that serves as a great kickoff to the fall spooky season because it knows what it is and what it isn't. It doesn't try to complicate the classic 3D platformer with cumbersome designs. It keeps things simple and serves up plenty of cartoon spookiness along the way. The combat system is lightweight, perhaps to a fault, and the game is was perhaps a level too long. But the maneuver and pumpkin head puzzle sections kept the pace brisk and the action crisp. Pumpkin spiced goodness would recommend. Cool. My three-word review is what a treat. The only thing I can think of that might be more existentially fall than Pumpkin Jack would be a bunch of white girls drinking pumpkin spice lattes on a hayride just so they can put it on their Instagram. Hashtag sweater weather. (laughs) And I don't know about the rest of you, but Halloween is one of my favorite times of year, and this game is the perfect gateway into the spooky spirit. So with simple but fun roots that give off a very PS1 and 64 vibe, playing this game made me feel like a kid again, and more importantly, it made me smile a lot. So where it lacks in depth or complexity, it shines with heart and humor. And I think we can all agree that we don't usually watch holiday movies because they're critically acclaimed masterpieces. We watch them because (laughs) they've got vibes and because they put us into that holiday spirit. So I played Pumpkin Jack for the vibes and it definitely delivered. So anybody that loves Spooktober as much as me, stop deliberating and just play this game already. Amen. Agree with that. And, uh, A happy spooky season to all uh, for everyone out there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. We didn't talk about... Okay, so we talked about how this felt like an N64 game. Specifically, you mentioned Mario 64. Did this final boss not feel like Final Bowser? Mm-hmm. With with yeah. all the, uh, you know, you'd go through the a while... floor dropping the away. floor dropping, yeah. That felt like a huge homage to that, for me anyway. Homage. I like this boss better. Yeah, you know, um, bo- you know it, it was a product of its time, but... Mario 64's Bowser battles were like by the time you face Bowser for the third time I get it you know (laughs) (laughs) like this game definitely iterated on its mechanics much better than Mario 64 which coming about 30 years 25 years after it is you know expected I guess yeah and again to your point Josh the hardest part about that was throwing Bowser onto a bomb that was off screen and you couldn't move the camera now at least we can move the goddamn camera (laughs) It's crazy, like, you wouldn't have thought 25, 30 years ago that, like, camera controls would be the one of the biggest technological innovations in 3D games. You would I have mean, thought, try like, going back and playing Resident Evil 4 nowadays. Like, you had to stop 
and then aim and then shoot and then you had to move like there was no like aiming while you it I try to go back and play it's one of the best games ever from that era but it's unplayable these days I bet you that the people that developed Super Mario 64 would not be surprised that camera controls were a key innovation in making 3D games more interesting because I know they struggled mightily with how to deal with Mario's camera. It's because they had to invent it. Yeah, I mean, that's why they had Lakitu as, like, a key character who was basically, like, introduced in the introduction of the game, flying in behind Mario, and then all of a sudden it goes into his camera's view and the game starts. Like, they basically had to introduce the concept of viewing someone in 3D to the player. (laughs) They were so close, too. Like, if you remember the N64 controller, it had one joystick, but then it had what was called the C buttons, which were Mm -hmm. clearly C was for camera, and it was up, down, left, right. Like, they were almost there. Like, all you had to do was just make it a freaking joystick, guys, and you would have been all the way there. They were so missed. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I missed. 